0: Open up, if you will, to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. I am starting a new uh, series on gratitude, and it's going to be three weeks, so today and two more weeks coming. Gratitude, how the Christian ought to live, how the Christian ought to think about these things, and demonstrating a life of holiness to the world, and in gratitude for what God has done And so, this morning, actually looking at Philippians chapter 4, it's not going to be an expositional preaching as much as it is a topical preaching on gratitude, but I will be referencing this passage most along with some others. Well, this morning, you could probably tell from the music, from the choir singing, that the theme is on thankfulness, gratitude, as the believer should have much to be thankful for, right? I mean, thinking about what God has done in this redemptive story, the whole Bible is a redemptive story about a lost relationship between us and the Creator and how He is going to send the spotless Lamb into the world to make all things right with me and you. That's the summary of the whole story. God reaching down to us to restore a relationship with us. For those who would choose to believe that Jesus came, that he died on the cross, that his blood was poured out for our washing, our cleansing, we're filthy sinners, none of us can approach God in our own power to say, hey, look what I've done, aren't I good enough to enter heaven? My good deeds outweigh my bad, I think that should be enough, right? That's not how the judge will judge. Have you put your faith in the one who has come to die for you, yes or no? Do you believe that he's Lord of your life? Are you living a life that's consistent with the life and the example he left us? Are we in love with his church, with his people? Are we seeking him in prayer and in scriptures? That doesn't mean that the believer is perfect. Beloved, we're not perfect We are the weakest of people that come here to recognize as sinners we need God's grace. And we're here because we confess that we don't have it all together. We struggle. There are temptations and trials every day. If you gather with coworkers or friends or family that tell you that they struggle with the Christian faith because it just seems like Christians are goody-two-shoes that have it all together, you tell them the truth. You tell them, I'm the worst sinner I know. And by God's grace, he has come to save a sinner like me. And if he can save me, he can save anybody. That's the truth. Well, this morning we look at the topic of gratitude, and my sermon title this morning is Gratitude in Hope. That's not the right slide. If you want to blank that slide out to the black one. Um, Thanks, Aiden. We, um, We're looking at this new series of gratitude, gratitude and hope. And while we acknowledge that there is so much we can be thankful for as Christians, not only what Jesus Christ has done for us, but also take a step back and look at our lives. Praise God, He has given us food on the table, shelters over our heads, clothing to wear, that God Loves and takes care of his children. Remember Jesus' words to the disciples? Like the sparrow in the field. It doesn't have a meal plan for the following day. It just goes out and it gets food and God provides food for the sparrow. Have you noticed the lilies of the field? How they adorn themselves with beautiful petals that come out that give them glory in the field, yet they're there for a moment and then they're gone. And if God cares about the lilies of the field and the sparrows, how much more does he care for you and for me to meet our every need? There is much the believer has to be thankful for. So if you've come here this morning and you're just, you're emanating with joy, you're thankful for all that God has done, perhaps there's been prayer requests that have been answered recently in your heart and your life. And you've just been so overwhelmed with the Lord's blessings and what he's done. You're coming here this morning. You're thankful. You're sitting in the seats and you're singing praises to God. I praise the Lord for you. And I'm so thankful that that is where God has you now. And I pray that that would continue. That the Lord's blessings would continue to befall you. But then there's others of you who gave every ounce of energy just to show up this morning. That you're dealing with real hurts and dark trials in your life that are crippling you, that, that are hindering you from rejoicing. And you come to a text like this in Philippians 4.4 4, that says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And you're sitting there and thinking, How? I am struggling with the circumstances that I'm in. Perhaps this morning you are dealing with the hurts of the loss of a loved one, the loss of a father, the loss of a mother, the loss of a child, the loss of a sibling, and you are trying to work through that. How is God good in allowing that trial to befall me? How am I supposed to rejoice? Perhaps you have the weights and the cares of this world, the anxieties they are building up, the pressures of work, paying the bills and finances, and it's just weighing down on you, and you're like, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. How am I supposed to be thankful and rejoice right now? Others of you maybe have... Loved ones who are lost and going astray. Perhaps it's a child that's rejecting their faith and turning to the world and the pleasures that are therein. Perhaps you're in a broken home. And perhaps there is trial and tribulation between you and your spouse or you and your children that's wreaking wreaking havoc and you don't know what the next step is. Perhaps you've been abused. You've been wrongfully mistreated by someone And you're hiding that and coping with that, but you don't know how to rejoice in the Lord and carry on for the next step. I have more. I can go on and on and on about individuals, all of you in here in different circumstances. Children, the struggles with school and what's taking place in the high school or in your classes, the weights of Pressures of exams and trying to fit in and have friends. For those of you who are single, maybe it's the consistent prayer that God would provide a spouse, but up till now, He has not answered that prayer, though it's been years, and you're wondering when He's going to answer that, and you're trying to find hope and joy in the Lord. For you who are elderly, perhaps it's the pains of getting up in the morning and just getting ready for the next day and all the struggles that you have with that and moving around, and perhaps it's you who are sick and you're struggling with something that is debilitating you, whether it's a physical ailment or a cancer. Rejoice in the Lord. I know it's not a really great way to start a series on gratitude, but at the same time, I think it's very good for us to think through these things. That while we can come to the Lord and rejoice, and while I do have a message of hope for you this morning, I do, that while we come this morning to rejoice in the Lord, bear in mind that someone is probably sitting right next to you that is undergoing immense trial. How are we, the body of Christ, to love one another, to be unified in the faith, To rejoice in the Lord, not in the circumstances that we're currently facing, but to rejoice in something far greater that's outside of ourselves. That's not a rejoicing in what I'm going through now, but a bigger picture and a bigger plan. I see many of you nodding. You know where I'm going with this. So as we jump into this text, let's try to just really basically understand what does Paul mean? When he's writing to the church at Philippi, this is the epistle to the Philippians. It means it was a letter written to a specific church, a specific group of people. And you only have to read the book of Philippians. You can probably read the book in 10, 15 minutes and be done with it. And you'll note that the theme of rejoicing in the Lord is actually, it's there all over. Rejoice in the Lord. Find joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And he praises the Lord for them. Paul's writing, I'm thankful for you, you of all. Like he says in chapter 1 and verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What's the hope? The hope isn't in their current circumstances. The the rejoicing isn't in their current trials. It's that one day you're going to get home. That's our hope. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Okay. Here I am this week studying this passage, and I'm thinking, I've got to preach this to you. And I'm struggling myself with trying to understand and grapple with what's taking place here because I don't know if we humanly have the capability to rejoice in every circumstance. We are emotional beings that God has created. We feel, we we know emotion. God Himself knows emotion. And when circumstances befall us, there will be times of mourning and weeping and loss. Now, can you imagine how devastating it would be if someone sitting next to you lost a loved one and you walked up to them and said, rejoice in the Lord. Hey, be thankful. Be, look at everything that God has done in your life. Just, you just have to buck up and find the goodness and the positivity in this life. That would be That would be damaging to them. What does Paul say in Romans 12? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Oh, there's a time of mourning. And Paul's, Paul's as much as he's commanding to rejoice in the Lord here, he's also commanding to weep there. Weep with those who weep. You have people among you that are struggling that made it here today by a thread. Do you know who they are? Are you asking one another how you're doing and being honest with each other beloved we need to know each other you need to know each other and you need to be able to get deep into each other's lives to be able to express when you are hurting i've been there too i know not doing well someone asked me dave how are you doing today (laughs) i'm doing great i'm not and that's just That's just a commonality with Christianity today. We just don't want to get deep with each other because then it gets messy and now I might have to meet with you for coffee and that takes time out of my day and then I'm going to have to follow up with phone calls and maybe a text message and whew, that's a large commitment. I'm not sure I'm ready for that right now. Praise God, Jesus didn't do that to us. He came to us in our need. Messy as we are comes to us and wants to give us the time of day. Sure, he's the king of the universe, but he wants to come meet us. And he wants to show us his goodness and his gratefulness that he is working out a plan of redemption in us. Jesus took the time of day. Oh, look at the stories. He could have left that woman at the well and walked right in with the rest of the disciples to get food. Could have left her. No. He could have let the woman with the the disease of the bleeding who touched his cloak, he could have just left her, yeah, that's fine. Keep on walking, no. He gave her the time, the day. He, in every encounter, met us where we are to show us his love and his grace and his time to meet us in our hurts. How are we doing that with one another? How are we doing, how are we Christ to one another? Rejoice in the Lord always has to be about something outside of our circumstances, something greater that the Lord is doing. The fact of the matter is is that there is time for weeping and mourning, and that is not wrong, but I think that is exactly the example that Christ left us. Here's Here's a really good story most of you know, the story of Mary and Martha when Lazarus died Jesus comes to Mary and Martha and I believe Jesus knows full well that he's going to be able to raise Lazarus from the dead He tells Martha he's the resurrection and the life right So Jesus knows the outcome of the story he knows the end it's it's he should have just walked right up to Mary and Martha and said stop crying It's going to be fine watch watch I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead But Jesus didn't tell Mary to stop crying. Do you know what Jesus did? He wept with her. Now that's something interesting to be said there because was Jesus weeping over the fact that Lazarus was dead and he couldn't change that circumstance? He already knew the end of the story. So why on earth did our Savior cry? because he could sympathize with her weaknesses. And he loved her. Jesus cried because he saw Mary's tears and he saw the hurt that it brought on her. Though he knew her brother would rise momentarily, he still cried with her because he loved her. Since then, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Beloved, when you hurt with the trials and difficulties of this life and you are struggling to find joy, you're struggling to find thankfulness, Our Lord knows, and He weeps with you over the circumstances that you're in, although our Lord knows one day it will all be made right. All of these things shall soon pass, yet He is still with us in the fire. We have an amazing Savior. We ought to rejoice and be thankful in the fact that Jesus Himself is with us in every trial that he feels the hurt and the pain, and he's willing to go through that with us. More than that, let's remember Gethsemane. When Jesus wept because his soul was vexed, he was under great anxiety. It says that he wept in the garden. And do you remember what he said? He said, Father, let this cup pass. What he was saying was, Father, if there's any other way we can do this and come out with the same result, please, let's do it another way. If there's any other road we can take to still have this same outcome, please. And the God the Father said, no, it must be this way. So Jesus, weeping, as it were, great drops of blood, his soul vexed, being under such anguish, it tells us in Hebrews twelve two. That for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Wait a second. I'm not seeing joy in that circumstance. Look at Jesus in the garden. That was anything but joyful. Right? What joy is he talking about? What joy could Jesus possibly have experienced when he was under such great anguish? And this is the point. In our day, we have taken the word joy, rejoice in the Lord, and we've construed it and mixed it up to make it equal something of good feelings. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? What does it mean when we see this passage to be thankful? It means that I need to be filled with butterflies and roses every time I'm I'm thinking of the Lord, every time I'm in a circumstance. I need to just have all these pleasant feelings, and I'm not going to allow sorrow into my life. I'm going to suppress that. I'm going to push it out. I can't have negativity. I need positivity. And that's what rejoicing in the Lord means. Well, folks, that's not how Jesus rejoiced in the Lord when he was under anguish, trial. This means, and this is the point I'm getting at, you can have joy deeply embedded into your heart in the midst of pain, tears, loss, circumstances that are devastating to you. You can have joy, but it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on the Spirit of God living within you. If you want to have joy, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, it's a joy that recognizes, one day I'm going to be home. Rejoicing in every circumstance does not mean I'm going to rejoice right now in this dark trial. I'm going to be thankful that I'm undergoing this difficult trial, and I'm just going to try to muster up positivity within me. No, rejoicing in the Lord means it really hurts right now. But God, I know you're going to free me from this someday. And when I'm finally with you, there will no longer be loss. There will no longer be pain There will no longer be suffering. There will no longer be darkness or trial. But forever in unity with God, our Savior, we will know the joy of the Lord. So, with that, we recognize that this joy has to come from God himself, revealing to us the greater picture and the greater plan. When you put your faith in Christ, there had to be an understanding, or maybe perhaps it came soon later, that becoming a believer in Christ, meaning you put your faith in what Jesus died for you, and you believe that he rose again and he's Lord of your life, believing that you've been cleansed from your sins and his righteousness has been given to you, believing that means that at some point you recognize the Christian life is actually hard, it's not easy. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us to count the cost. Do you know that Paul talks in Peter as if sufferings are to be expected? Don't be surprised by them. Uh, first, first Peter talks about that. First Peter 4, 12, and 13. Turn there. This is a very important passage. I would highlight it if I were you. Um, first Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 the title of which says suffering as a Christian. Well, that can't be good. But look what it says in 12 and 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Like what is going on? Why am I feeling these trials? Why are these tribulations coming upon us as Christians? Aren't we God's children? Shouldn't we be delivered from this? Peter says, don't be surprised at that, 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The present day sufferings are preparing us for the glory that will be revealed. That means the trials we're going through now is is not something that we should be necessarily thankful for and rejoice in, but I'm thankful and rejoicing in the fact that one day his glory is going to be revealed and he's going to free me from the present circumstances I'm in. So finding gratitude, finding gratitude in hope, finding thankfulness that one day this race will end. As many of you might be runners in here, the runner runs the race in hopes of crossing the finish line. Every painful step along the way isn't necessarily something they're thankful for, but they're thankful about reaching the goal in the end. That's where we're headed, getting there to that point. And God uses the trials to point us there. Or how about James chapter 1? James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, joy. Joy. In the midst of circumstances is something that's pointing us forward to a day where Jesus comes and makes all things right. Paul goes on to talk about lifting these things up in prayer to the Lord. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I'm back in Philippians 4 now. Let your requests be made known to God. Have you ever been in a predicament or maybe you're currently in a predicament right now where you've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and and it doesn't seem like God's answering circumstance you're in? You've been following the pattern that Paul's laid for you. I am laying these things before the Lord. I, I have been faithfully. I've been casting my anxieties at his feet and I've been praying and praying. And David, he's not answering. And what happens is, at times, if we're not remembering the ultimate picture of what God is doing, he's drawing us home, but if we're focused on our circumstances and the fact that God's not answering, all of a sudden a seed of doubt can be planted in our minds. Is he listening to me? Oh, come on, I've, I've thought that before. Does, does he hear my prayers? Does he, does he enjoy it that I'm suffering Is he thinking that this this is all part of the plan, that he wants me to hurt? No, that's not our Savior who looked at Mary and cried with her. That's not our Savior. What he is doing is he is drawing us closer and closer and closer to him in a relationship that we don't even see fully right now. Beloved, every prayer you pray, is not in vain. You are calling out on a Savior, and you are telling yourself, He's going to answer. He will answer. I don't know why He hasn't yet, but He will. I believe it. But I'm struggling. Yes. This is the Christian life. You have been praying for so long, and indeed, one day, He will answer your prayer. Remind yourself of that. He is listening. He does hurt with you. And one day when you finally sit down at his table and he gives you the food and he pours the drink according to Psalms so that it overflows, he wants you to know, I heard every prayer. Not one was wasted. And look at what I've done. I've brought you home. This is what it's all about. You were wanting things done your way, but you failed to see that I'm doing my things my way. For God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We can pray in a way that we want God to answer because we think this is what's best for the circumstance we're in. We are in, but we must surrender everything to the Lord and recognize his ways are best. Can we be thankful for that? I want to make this clear again. I'm not thankful for the circumstances I'm currently facing right now, and many of you are facing circumstances that are difficult in your lives, but I'm thankful that one day all of this will end. Right? Right? That's where I'm going to place my hope and my joy. I don't care what, what anyone in the world has to say regarding, well, that doesn't seem right or you need to be living your best life now. I don't care what they have to say. I am putting my hope and my trust in the next life that that's where I'll experience glory, that's where I'll experience healing, and that's where sin and doubt will never again creep into our minds and our hearts. That's the peace, as Psalm 23 talks about. He lies us down in the green pastures by the still waters. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Look forward to that day. Keep that picture, that imagery of Psalm 23 in your mind and rejoice that one day it is coming. And I I would argue every day it is coming closer. An application closing here. This has been a difficult difficult sermon for me to relay to you. I hope, though, that we can place our trust and our hope in something greater than the circumstances we're facing. That we place our trust and our hope in a loving Savior who sympathizes with our weaknesses and a loving Savior who is going to bring us home. And in those two things, I can take a step back now and say, okay, I trust you. I don't know how he's going to make all this right. I don't think any of us know how he's going to make all this right. But at this moment in time, I am actively choosing to say, I trust you. It's outside of my control. I don't have power over this. God, I trust you. And if you say you're going to complete the work which you have begun in me, okay, let me rest in that. Let me find peace in that, that you are working here's a couple of things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful, of course, for the universal church, all the saints who have gone before and will come after, but no, that's not what I mean right now. I am thankful for you, the church, for Ventura Baptist Church. There are so many other churches in this area, but God has placed me here with you, and God has placed you here as well. When we get to heaven, it's not like we're going to walk through heaven's gates and God's going to do a a mind sweep. We're just going to forget everything in the past. No, we're going to look at each other and we're going to remember each other. We're going to recognize each other. And I will argue, we're going to remember All of the trials that we went through, praying those sleepless nights, the discipleship group studies, the encouraging and exhorting one another in the faith, the constant reminders that we needed him around the Lord's table, all of that is gonna come to mind and we're gonna praise God that he brought us home through you, the church. Brothers and sisters, look around at each other. God is using this church to help you get to glory through edifying one another, strengthening one another, calling out sins, encouraging one another, through church discipline, God's using this place to help us get to glory. We're going to remember that. And we're going to see how God has used this church and be thankful for it. Be thankful for it, Ventura. And that leads me into true accountability even with church discipline. I never knew true accountability until I came to Ventura. I cannot speak highly enough about it. And it's not Ventura in the name, and it's not even the people. It's a desire to follow God's word here. I found true accountability here that that called me in my personal life to repent from sins, to put them away and run after God, That this desire to seek for godliness and holiness. We're weak people. We struggle with sins. But you know what we need? We need one another to help us along this path. You need one another, encouraging one another. And by God's grace, we will get to glory. So I'm thankful for the means of accountability here. I'm thankful that our church prizes that. Keep seeking that. Keep growing in that. I'm also thankful for prayer. I will tell you right now, there are days through the week that prayer is extremely difficult for me. I don't know if you can relate with that, but there are times when I set aside time to pray And I go to pray, and I feel the battle. I feel like my mind is just spaghetti going all different directions. i got to send that email. Oh, I I forgot to call them back. Oh, I have to do that. I have to move money. All of these things fill my mind. And I try to tell myself, David, focus on the Lord right now. You need him. And I start to pray, and within seconds my mind is distracted again. And I've come out discouraged at times with the war in praying. Why is it so tough? Why is it so hard? Why can't I find thankfulness in the times to pray it? There are times when, well, it's just difficult. And then it hits me what soldier takes his rifle, runs into battle, and expects it to be easy? Aren't we at war? We're at war, not only with our own flesh, but we're at war with spiritual forces and powers in the heavenly places. When we get our hands and our knees to pray, we enter into a realm that we're entreating God to work and to move us and to encourage us and to work through circumstances. Beloved, we're at war. Of course, it's not gonna be easy, David. It's going to be very difficult. Does that mean I should stop? that mean i'm not getting the butterflies and the roses feeling when i pray i'm not thankful in it i should just wait to come back later when sometime i am thankful for prayer don't do that continue to pray continue in the battle if there is a battle to be won then win it in the hardest darkest part of the night win it when your feelings are telling you otherwise go to the lord in prayer Tell yourself, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Right now, I don't want to. Right now, I'm struggling. No, now's the time. Am I thankful for prayer? And am I lifting those prayer requests up to the Lord with thanksgiving, saying, God, you haven't taken away this trial. God, you haven't taken away this temptation. You haven't taken away the struggle. Yet I will praise you because I know you're drawing me to my knees once again today. If everything was going well in your life and you had no need to ask for anything, would you pray? Mm. It's in the very fact that we have temptations and trials that it draws us to our knees again and again to seek the Lord and to ask him for help. So beloved, continue to pray continue to fellowship with God's church and recognizing that thankfulness and rejoicing in all circumstances goes beyond just the circumstances that you're in and focusing on those but in a future reality that one day Jesus is calling us home in that we can rejoice let me pray for us dear Lord heavenly father we praise you for what you have done through Jesus Christ we praise you for meeting our every need, that you have, you have satisfied the law's demand on us, that as wretched sinners we should be condemned, yet Jesus died in our place and he was condemned. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, I don't understand, but I am thankful and I believe and I praise you. I pray, Father, that if there are hurting hearts here this morning, that we would know how to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, but in everything we would find unity and harmony around the gospel of Jesus Christ, that one day we will go home. And even now, Father, as we turn to a time of communion, that we remind ourselves that this isn't even a feast, this is crumbs that remind us of the greater feast that we will one day have in fellowship together. So, Father, we pray that you would be honored and glorified as we hold fast our confession, as we take and eat and drink, believing that Jesus underwent immense suffering for us so that we might be new in him. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me. Read the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a great week.